Now, last week we learned, if you were here, the purpose of the book of James is to teach us how to live out our faith in the real world. We discovered that if we're gonna have an active faith, if we're gonna have a living faith, the kind of faith that's gonna make a difference in our day-to-day life as Christians, it's gonna take more than just showing up at church and going through the motions. It's gonna take more than just being at the right place, dressed the right way. It is gonna require at some point in our religious journey, our Christian journey, our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we begin to actually live out somehow what we say we believe. Now that was last week. This week we're gonna shift gears a little bit And I want you to see that God is incredibly committed to developing in us this kind of faith, an active faith, a living faith. This is like priority number one for God. And we're gonna learn that the number one way God does this is very similar to how we build muscle. Now, a lot of us, January 1st, New Year's resolution, we go to the gym, we sign up. Most of you go for about three days and then you drop out. But, but, But if you didn't know it, when you build muscle, what you do is you exhaust the muscle and then you relax the muscle. And then you exhaust it and you relax it. You exhaust it and you relax it. In the same way, that's how God builds our faith. He exhausts us and then he gives us the time to relax and then exhaust and relax, exhaust and relax. And to do that, he allows at times and even causes us to go through certain things in our lives. And the reason he allows us to go through these things, these trials, these uh, tough times is so uh, our faith can be stretched. And when it's all said and done at the end of the day, we don't just have a faith we talk about, we have an active, living, strong faith. Now that's what we're gonna talk about this weekend. If you have your Bible, let's turn to James chapter one and, and let's learn how to deal as Christians with the trials, with the tough times, with the stretching experiences that we're all going to go through. James chapter one, beginning in verse one, James says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So the 12 tribes, that tells us right away that he's writing to Jewish, to Hebrew believers. So he's writing to Jewish Christians and they've been scattered throughout the world, the known world, because of persecution. Verse two says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And if we didn't know who was writing the book, we would close the book and think, obviously a nutcase. Obviously a lunatic. I mean, seriously, who is joyful? Who in their right mind is joyful when they go through trials, when they go through tough times? I mean, it's just stupid. The word trial and joy, tough times and joy, those words don't even go together. But once you understand who's writing the book, you have to take him seriously because this is James. This is the half brother of Jesus. As we said last week, who became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. He's the one writing this book. And if you study the life of James, you'll discover that he is very, very familiar with trials. And he's writing to a group of people who are also very, very familiar with trials. Because as I said, these are Jews who have become Christians. In other words, they have discovered that they now can have a personal relationship with God, a personal relationship with the Father. See, up to this point, it was about priests. It was about sacrifices. It was all the burden of the law. But because they recognized Jesus as the Messiah and his finished work on the cross so that we could be reconciled back to God. See, they're thinking, it doesn't get any better than this. The problem is, when they showed back up at the synagogue, where they're used to hanging out with their friends, they found out that now because they're Christians, they've been kicked out. They're outcasts. They've been ostracized. So they're on the outside looking in. And then on top of that, persecution breaks out. And, and these Jewish believers, they're scattered all over the world. Families are divided. Friends are separated from one another. And as Christians, they're beginning to ask the very same questions that we ask when we're going through tough times. 
God, I've prayed about this. In fact, I pray about it every day and I feel like you're just ignoring me. God, what's going on? You ever ask questions like that? Or, or God, I thought you were a good God. And here I am going through this situation. Where are you? And to complicate matters, the religion that they had grown up with taught them this. If good things are happening to you, you're on God's good side. If bad things are happening to you, somehow you've gotten on God's bad side. So here's a group of people. They're brand new Christians. They're brand new in their faith. Suddenly their world falls apart. The bottom falls out. And they've concluded this. Either there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with God. And so James writes them this letter and he says, listen, you got to understand whenever you're going through trials, whenever you're going through tough times, whenever you're going through those stretching experiences in your life, you've got to get to the place where you consider it a time of joy because God is at work to which they were as confused as we are when we hear that. In fact, you sit here this weekend, James is a pretty popular book. It's the most applicable book in all the Bible, the most practical book in all the Bible. So we're familiar with it. And maybe you've heard these verses a thousand times. And there's something in you say, yeah, Mike, I've heard these verses, I've read these verses, but you really need to hear my story. Because if you heard my story, you, you would understand that I'm an exception to this rule. In fact, if James heard my story, James would say, wow, that's like the worst story I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, you don't need to be joyful. You can just sit right over here in the exception section, right? But that's not the case at all. James, is, he says, listen, as Christians, like it or not, when you and I face trial, where God wants to get us, he wants to get us to the place where we can have joy in the middle of those circumstances. And he goes on to explain why. And in doing so, he actually defines for us what a trial is. Look at verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, here's the key, because you know that the testing of your faith. And that little phrase there defines for us what a trial is from God's perspective. God just sees a trial. He sees a tough time. He sees a stretching experience as a testing of our faith. Now, here's the problem. We don't see it that way. We see it from the perfect perspective. Hey, God, my world is falling apart. And God's like, no, not really. I'm just testing your faith. But God, I don't like it. Yeah, I know. God says, rarely does anybody like it. But I'm testing your faith. So James says, whenever trials enter into our experience, it could be a relational trial. It could be a, a physical trial. It could be a financial trial. James says, you got to understand from God's perspective, it's not a victory from the devil. It doesn't, for the devil. It doesn't mean that you've somehow gotten on God's bad side. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's because of sin and, and, and you're being punished. Every trial we face from God's perspective ultimately is seen as a test of our faith. It's the way God builds and makes our faith come alive. It's the way he builds a strong faith in us. Now, why is it a test of our faith? Well, if we're really honest, we already know the answer. I mean, as Christians, when, when we're going through a trial, we're going through a tough time, the bottom falls out of our life, what happens? What happens is this, all of a sudden, when we hit rock bottom, God has our undivided attention. Like that, I mean, isn't that true? And we're like, God, I know you saw this coming. You know everything. God, you knew I was gonna get that phone call. You knew I was gonna get that letter from the IRS. You knew I was gonna get served and be sued. God, you knew, you knew what that person was gonna show up at my door. God, you knew I was gonna lose my job. All of a sudden, our focus is totally on God. And there's something inside of us that says, 
God, you're going to do something about this, aren't you? God, you're only going to let me go so low, aren't you? God, you're only going to let this get so bad, aren't you? God, there's going to be a cure for this, isn't there? God, you already know what my next job is, don't you? In other words, suddenly in the middle of our tough circumstances, in the middle of our trial, what happens? Our faith, our confidence in who God is and what he says he will do, all of a sudden there's this, this tension. You see, in, in, in my little wrinkle-free life that I try to maintain, and that's what we all do, right? In my little wrinkle-free life, in other words, every, there's enough money to pay the bills, everybody's healthy, the kids are behaving right, in my little wrinkle-free life that I'm trying to maintain, it doesn't do much for my faith. It's encouraging. I like it. I'm not going to lie to you. I actually prefer it. But when things are going like that, it doesn't really test my faith. I mean, let's be honest. We don't get up on a day when everything is going great and say, hey, God, help me maintain my faith in you today. We don't even, I mean, we pretty much ignore God on those days. We're like, if I don't bother him, maybe he won't bother me, right? Don't poke the bear, you know? Fly under the radar. Let him bother somebody else, right? We're good, you know? So James says, hey, let's face it. When the bottom falls out, you get the phone call, you get the letter, you lose your job, there's a health scare. All of a sudden, there's this interaction between us and God, and we're like, oh, God, please give me a sign. God, let me just know that you are aware of what's going on in my life and that you care. Let me know, God, that this didn't take you by surprise. God, let me know that, that you're going to do something about this situation. I mean, we, the, when the bottom drops out, it, it's just amazing how into God we are. It's amazing how all of a sudden, how spiritual we are. God, if you, if you will get me out of this situation and through this tough time, man, I'll go to Africa. I'll live with the pygmies. I mean, just do it, God, or I'll even do something crazy. I'll start serving people. Maybe I'll even give my money. Just get me out of this situation. But the moment the threat is over, you know what we're like? We're like a, we're like a little puppy after a bath. Just shake it all off of us, right? Forget it ever happened. Go on our merry little way, run outside, find a flower bed, roll around in the dirt. Nothing changes. And that's why we have to have the tension. That's why the trials continue. God has to create this tension in our lives so that our faith muscles are being exhausted, so they're being stretched. And so James says, hey, if you really want this, this living, active, strong faith, if you want the kind of faith that can actually be life-changing, you gotta get to the point where you begin to view trials as a test of your faith. And he continues in verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Maybe your translation says endurance, but the point is God wants to develop in us an enduring, persevering faith. So that even in our lives, as we look at our circumstances and things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse, we will still respond to God, regardless of what's going on around us. I believe, I believe, I believe. And then when there's less and less in our life that we can put our confidence in, we still respond, I believe, I believe, I believe. When things that we're trusting in for our security, when they're collapsing all around us, we can still say, I believe, I believe, I believe. In other words, God wants to develop a faith in us that says, God, even though things aren't the way I want them to be, God, even though it seems, at least on the surface, that you've abandoned me, 
God, I want you to know something. I still trust you. I still believe in you. James says that's how a person with active living faith responds to the trials, responds when the bottom drops out. And he goes on in verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, and I've said this before, spiritual maturity isn't about how much you know. Spiritual maturity is about how enduring your faith is. It's when there's absolutely nothing left from a human perspective to hang your faith on except the faithfulness of God and the character of who God is. And even when you find find yourself in that situation, you are still okay. That's when you're mature. That's when you're lacking for nothing. That's where God wants to take all of us. And James says, understand, that's where he wants to take you, but you're going to find joy there because Adversity in our lives is not about the absence of God. Adversity in our lives is about the activity of God, to which we respond, I wish he would go you know, be active somewhere else, right? We don't necessarily like it. But we have to understand that adversity is what God capitalizes on to make our faith mature, lacking nothing. Adversity, think of it this way, is how God kicks out from under us all of the things that we have a tendency to depend on other than him. Money, job, secure relationships, right? Now, why does God do that? Why can't he just make our lives the way we want them to be? I'll tell you why. It's because the greatest compliment that we can pay a person is when we maintain faith in them, when there's nothing for us to put our faith on other than simply their character. Let me say that again. The greatest compliment that we can pay a person is when we maintain faith in them, when there's nothing for us to put our faith on other than just simply their character and who they are. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we express love, we express worship in its purest form when we say to God, God, in spite of what it seems like you've allowed to happen, God, in spite of how it appears that you've treated me, I will maintain confidence and I will maintain faith in you because of who you are. See, this is where God wants to get all of us in our relationship with him. This is where he wants to take us. He wants us to love him for who he is. He wants us to love him for what he's given us in Jesus Christ, not for who we want him to be and what he's done for us lately. And I'll be honest with you, many times my joy often hangs on what God has done for me lately. And I think James is like, God understands that. He gets that. But let me tell you what his agenda is for your life. James says every once in a while God's going to come along and he's going to kick away one of your props, one of your crutches. One of those things you find security in. And he's going to stretch your faith and you're going to persevere. And you're going to come out the other side and you're going to be stronger and you're going to be more faithful. And then time is going to go by and he's going to kick away another one of those props. It's one of those I love God because, right? He's going to kick away one of the becauses. You're going to be in a small group and say, I so love God because, whoops, there it goes. It's gone, right? And it's going to stretch your faith and it's going to build some endurance and it's going to build some perseverance. And as A result, this is what James says, as you go through that process, your faith is going to be perfected. 
Now, thankfully, in verse 5, James gives us some insight as to what we do, how we handle it when we're going through this process of having all of our props kicked out from under us. He says in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, look at this. And it will be given to you. In other words, in the middle of the chaos, that stretching experience that God is taking you through, James says, you just need to ask God for wisdom. You know what I ask for? I ask for relief. I don't want wisdom. I want out. I want God to fix my problem, and I want him to fix it right now, and so do you. James says that's just not how it works. God is taking you on as a project. He is developing perseverance. That's what's going on. So don't fret. Ask God for wisdom. By the way, what is wisdom? Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. In other words, when you're going through, you're saying, God, help me see this situation the way you see it. That's wisdom. It's saying, God, I don't like this. I'm not happy about this. I want out of this. But in the middle of this trial, God, would you at least give me the wisdom to see what I'm going through the way you see it so that I can respond appropriately? So, God, that I can respond the way things truly are and not in light of how I am tempted to respond because, God, I'm tempted to interpret this and respond that you've fallen asleep at the wheel, that you're out to lunch. God, I'm tempted to think that you don't love me. God, I'm tempted to think that you're not aware of what's going on in my life. So, God, give me the wisdom to see this situation the way you see it so that I can respond the way I should respond. And verse 5 says, when you pray that way, that prayer will be answered. And God in the midst of the trial will give you the wisdom that you need so you can maintain faith and faithfulness through the trial. And it will allow you to build perseverance instead of allowing the trial to destroy you. Verse six, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. I mean, why? The belief's the whole point, right? You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And I think all of us are unstable and double-minded to some point. At least I am, right? I mean, when, when things are good, you know what we're like? I love God. He is so awesome. And we come to church and we sing, give me faith. And we raise our hell. Oh, God, I love you so much. I'll die for you, God. And the minute things go bad, hands in the pocket, staring at the screen, I don't even know if I believe there is a God, right? I mean, we're like, we're like this all the time. And we have those big pity parties. I think what James is saying is this. In the middle of the trial, when we go to God for wisdom, we're to go from the vantage point. God, first of all, I still trust you. God, first of all, I want you to understand, I still believe in you. And I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to bargain with you. I'm not here to promise you something that I probably won't do anyway when I get through this. But God, right now, I need some input. I need some insight. God, right now, I need some help as to why this is going on. And James says, when you pray that way, God will honor that prayer. But if you're full of doubt, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hear clearly from God. Because the whole point 
is to build perseverance and to build your, it's to build your faith in the area of the life that ha, the area of your life that has the potential to bring God the most glory. Now let, let me tell you why I, I, I really believe this is true, other than the fact that it's in the Bible. That's a good reason. But let me tell you another reason. When I go through a trial, I am no different than you are. I am not super faith man. I mean, I don't know what your you know, perception is of me. I am not that way. When I go through a tough time, I have the same worries. I have the same fears. I struggle with the same anxieties. I bite my nails. I mean, I'm, but let me tell you why I really believe this. It's because over the years as a pastor, I have seen hundreds, probably thousands of people face all kinds of trials, relational trials, financial trials, physical trials, trials in marriages, trials with their children. I've had people come to my office and say, you really need to sit down because what I'm about to tell you, you've never heard before. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard it. So go ahead and sit down. Let's, you know, Cause I've just, I mean, I've just heard it all, right? And in listening and going through all those stories, I've seen two kinds of people. I've seen people who have had their faith destroyed by what they're going through. I've seen people argue with God, bargain with God, promise God. I've had them get mad at me. I've had them get mad at the church. I've seen people abandon their faith. They want nothing to do with God. But I've seen a handful of people who were able to see their trials as coming from God. And I listened to their stories and I watched their faith in the most traumatic circumstances. And this is what happens. Regardless of what they're going through, time after time, they come back to this place. Regardless of what I'm going through, God is a good God. And if he loved me enough to send his son to die for me so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could have a relationship with him, I may be going through a tough time, but I cannot and I will not question his goodness and his faithfulness. Granted, I don't get it. I don't understand the circumstances, but I will not question his goodness. I've watched those kinds of people come through their circumstances with not only their faith intact, but their faith strengthened. I've seen them even more committed to following Jesus after the trial. And when I'm around those kinds of people, I'm telling you, I am humbled to the soles of my feet. And I always walk away thinking, I'm so glad I met them. Or I'm so glad I know them. But I'm not sure how I would have handled it if I had been in their shoes. And that's why this kind of sermon bothers us a little bit. It scares us a little bit because the reality is we, we don't know how we would respond in the same situation. Do you know why we don't know how we would respond? It's because our faith hasn't been perfected. We're not lacking nothing. We're just, we're just not there yet. Last week I introduced you to Lenny Moen and you heard his story and you heard the tip of the iceberg. You heard seven minutes of a two-hour conversation we had just based on his prisoner of war experience. But because I knew Lenny so well, because he was my mentor, because he was my board member, I also knew that there was a lot going on in his life. And I said, Lenny, one of the reasons I came out here is, and I read to them these verses out of James, chapter one, verse six and seven, about don't be unstable. You know, don't be like the waves. I said, you're the most consistent person I've ever met in my life. I've never seen you angry or bitter at God. And I listed for him circumstances I knew he had been through. First of all, Lenny, I said, you were in a prisoner work camp for 18 months. And there was a lot more to that story than he shared with you. On top of that, Lenny, 
you had to sit and watch as your incredibly talented young son, who was a phenomenal architect in Orange County, California, died a slow, drawn-out, painful death, lung cancer. On top of that, Lenny, I reminded him, I said, you know, the first church I pastored, Lenny went to the church that had a vision to buy a public school campus in L.A. County. Imagine what that cost, a public school campus that was empty. They wanted to expand their school and start a new church. And Lenny caught the vision, and Lenny wrote a check and paid for the entire piece of property. On top of that, paid for all the architect fees to have the buildings designed that would be built on the property, and went as one of the 60 people to the new campus to start the new church. The mother church decided, after Lenny had gone through all that process, because they began to decline, and I was pastoring the new church, and it began to explode. Yeah, we're not going to do that. So they then turned around and sold the property for eight times more than what Lenny paid for it, and they kept all the money. On top of that, I said, Lenny, remember the time our women went to the prison and they led that woman to Christ and she was supposed to get paroled back to the Bay Area, San Francisco area, and we talked the judge into paroling her to our little area so that we could build into her life and help her on her spiritual journey. Lenny said, I kind of forgot about that. I said, well, let me remind you what happened, Lenny. You allowed her to live with you, you and Evie. You bought her a car. You found her a job only to come home one day, and she had robbed you of everything valuable in your home she could find. He said, yeah, I forgot about that. On top of that, he has his wife of 66 years. She had a stroke. She, he had her in a nursing home. She had another stroke. She can no longer communicate. And he says, I'm bringing you home. So he brought her home, and at the age of 90, he, he takes care of her every day. She has to be fed through a tube. She can't communicate. And I said, Lenny, in spite of all of that, I've never seen you down. I've never seen your faith waver. I've never seen your trust in God even flicker a little bit. And I asked him this question. I said, Lenny, why is that? This is his answer. I'll tell you, I've lived with a mystery a good part of my life. What mystery is that? Why God has... Uh, poured out his blessings on me. It's a mystery. I don't, I will never, maybe someday I'll know, I don't know. But why he has uh, been so good to me. Uh, you know, I, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not here to, to be elevated. I'm, I'm here to praise God. You know, I've often thought I've got a wife in there who's a prisoner of her own body. And it's caused me to think back of when I was a prisoner of war and what that was like. I, I used to, to lay in that old straw bed, bunk bed, freezing to death, you know, and I wanted to cry, and I absolutely could not cry. I, I normally have been a tender-hearted person, but I wanted to cry and I couldn't. And thinking back over it, the only reason why I couldn't, I think, is because it would have been pity. 
And God doesn't want us to pity one another, or to pity self, I should say. We should pity one another, be sorry for one another, tender-hearted. But to pity oneself, I think, is uh, that isn't where God wants us. I think of my wife as a prisoner of her own body, and uh, I wish I had the uh, the faith to believe that she's going to speak again. But I'll tell you one thing: <laughs> when we get to glory, she's going to be speaking, <laughs> and she's going to be there with me. To be able to go through circumstances that would destroy most of us and your response be, it's a mystery to me why God has been so good to me. And I got to tell you something. When I walked away that afternoon, I realized that I had been in the presence of a man whose faith had been perfected far beyond mine. He may not pastor a big church like I get to pastor, but I tell you what. In God's system of what's really valuable, Lenny is way beyond me. Because he's maintained faith beyond circumstances that I'm not sure, circumstances in my life, I'm not sure what it would have done to my faith. So here's my challenge to you this week. Would you be willing to at least try, at least try, to look at your trials through a different lens? And instead of just simply asking for a way out of the situation, would you add this to your prayer? God, grant me the wisdom to see what's happening the way you see it. And God, allow me to grow in the areas of my life where you want me to grow as I am going through this trial. And God, I pray when it's all said and done, I pray that my faith will not collapse under the pressure, but I'll be stronger, and God, I will come out the other side more committed to you. God, just give me wisdom. Give me wisdom on this journey. What is God up to? He's testing your faith. What do you need to do? Just remain faithful. Ask God for wisdom along the way. Would you bow with me? Let me read you a verse I didn't have time to really get into, but let me just read how James wraps this up in verse 12. Just listen to these words. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You see, at the end of the day, what really we're revealing is our love for God. And God says when it, there's a special reward for people when they get to heaven, this crown of life that's set aside just for those kinds of people. And maybe there's going to be a little bleacher area, you know, where a few distinguished people will be. Lenny will be there. And God says, I'm going to give them a little extra special honor because regardless of what they went through, their love for me never faltered. Now I want to get there. I think you want to get there. But we're afraid to go there because we know the only way we get there 
is persevering under the trial, which means we have to go through the trials. So it's an odd prayer request. God, I pray right now. I don't even know how to shape this prayer. We want to be like this, but we don't want to go through the process of getting there. Now, we don't realize it. We don't have anything to do with whether or not you're going to take us through the process. You're going to. So really now the option is, how do we respond? And may our faith grow. May our trust in you grow. May our love for you grow. So that we will be unwavering. So that we will be people of stability. Who have the ability to live out our faith in this screwed up world. Father, I know some people are hurting and I know right now they need a little measure of grace and they need wisdom. May you give it to them because your, your goal job, is, God, is to see us persevere and come out the other side more like you. So give us what we need to get there. In your name we pray, amen. 